I mean he's an impersonator. A fake. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the following urgent announcement. You, yes you, put down that oversized bottle of Scrumpy and listen here. Do you like being entertained? Do you like television? Well, do we have the show for you. Built for people who love TV, where three rapscallions dissect two television shows, one old and one not so old, for a probable audience of one. It's time for Hardly TV History. Hello and thanks for tuning in to Hardly TV History, the show where three idiots talk about two television shows for a probable audience of one. My name is Shannon and as usual, joined here by Christian and Jake. How was that? Was that was that covert enough as an intro? Uh, it feels very covert. Covert or seriously creepy? Oh, I was going for an ASMR vibe. I'm trying to break into another audience. I was going for covert. In theme, guys, in theme. Say hello, Christian and Jake, first off, before we get involved. Hey, everybody. Howdy, folks. Uh, I'm being covert because I'm very subtle like that. And and uh, we're talking about two shows bound by spies and uh, and subversion and cross tactics and all sorts of crazy craziness that uh, that goes on in the spy world. Um, we're talking about Homeland and The Spy, uh, mm. which which two shows uh, linked by explosions. No, that's <laughs> uh, not quite. That, almost. I'm almost. pretty sure that's the thematic device that I I got from watching those two shows. Things go bang. Thingy, things going bang. Uh, mostly Claire Danes going bang. <laughs> Or McKenna Bakaran. What doesn't matter. One of the two. I thoroughly enjoyed that episode for various reasons, which we'll get into later. Uh, so <laughs> let's let's just dive straight in. Start with, with start with Homeland. Start with Homeland. All right. So basically, the story of Homeland is that we come across a a he's a ranger or a sniper or someone behind enemy lines. His name is Nicholas Brody and. We, we find him after eight years of being behind the lines in a POW camp in Afghanistan. And we're following the, the basically we're following the story of uh, Claire Danes' character, which is uh, Carrie. And she's, she thinks he's up to no good. So she's following him and stalking him as he returns home after his long exile is the basically short story of it. It's a, it's the shadowy CIA, isn't it really? Is the, is the backdrop for this, well, this she whole works agent. The CIA. He was a army ranger, I believe. Yeah, that's right. So he, he's a, or I think he's a Marine. Yeah, I Marine, think that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, basically, the situation is that Carrie is a CFA, CFA, sorry, everyone, <laughs> <laughs> CIA agent, uh, who is obviously tasked with hunting down terrorists. Nicholas Brody is retrieved from a terrorist hideout during a raid, uh, and he's been presumed dead for a significant amount of time. Uh, meanwhile, while this is happening, Carrie is getting intelligence from a source who's about to be executed that an American prisoner of war has been turned and is now a terrorist. She disregards this message, doesn't know who it is, until the news of Nicholas Brody comes out. And she goes, hang on, this could be what the message is all about. So the entire first episode is about her trying to figure out, is Nicholas Brody a terrorist or is he a guy suffering from PTSD PTSD, who's, who's returning home? And I think it's pretty safe to say at the end of the episode... It could be fifty fifty. Is it is it fifty fifty though? Is well, it? 
and and Carrie's also Claire Danes' character. She's also in, on the shit list of her superiors because she caused an international incident by getting this information. So her resources have been cut, and no one really trusts her word. Inside yeah, the and, and I, I think that's fair. I've never trusted anyone who has hobos baths. That's I'm just, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> never well, trust someone who, who goes for a wet wipe rather than a shower. Well, I think that just goes to show, you know, how used to she is to operating in the field. Yeah, yeah. She she is a is a magnetic character. I'm not actually a big Claire Danes fan generally. Um, I was forced to sit, to sit through uh, Romeo and Juliet like the rest of us were through high school. And quite frankly, Claire, I wasn't a fan. But <laughs> she's really good in this, and and there are great shorthand in a pilot episode to show she's she is a mess in terms of a character and so uh, you know it's 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 very ambiguous about where things are lying in this episode um and part of that is do we believe her do do we does or is she completely off the deep end in terms of where she's at Yes, that is exactly right, because it emerges through the episode. We learned that she actually suffers from mental health issues, mm-hmm. um, and she's actually taking antipsychotic medication to, to help deal with that. And at some point through the episode, you see her stop taking the medication. She you know, takes a tablet and puts it, hides it in amongst her aspirin to, to avoid having to, to consume it. So you're actually left at the end of the episode with this, this feeling, actually, is she psychotic? And she actually points out, and she says, oh, I could be imagining the whole thing. It could be, it could be all fake. And... That's what I meant by by that statement when I said, you know, it could be 50-50. We could be dealing with someone who has psychotic issues and is an unreliable narrator, um, or we could actually be looking at a situation where Nicholas Brody has been turned and she's the one who has the insight but isn't able to communicate it out. It's a little bit like um, you kind of get this vision of her trying... There's actually a scene where she's trying to convince Mandy Potemkin, who plays Saul Berenson, who's obviously like her mentor, you know, friend um, in the CIA, that she's on the money and she says, I know that he's... I think that he's he, he's turned. I think he's a, a double agent or a spy or whatever. And Mandy's saying, give me proof. Give me proof. I need to see it. Uh, and she's not able to produce anything up until the last couple of minutes of the episode. And then he says, all right, I'm willing to look into it now. Yeah, fascinating. But you're also not sure about what Nicholas Brody's uh, flashbacks are either because you, you, get, you kind of get mixed messages in his flashbacks also when he's trying to retell the event. So you're kind of getting two unreliable narrators in the one Go here. Well, well, to th- the last flashback we see is not is not ambiguous at all. It's him beating a yeah. him beating his his fellow PO, uh, PO, uh, POW with with the uh, the head of that terrorist group that he said he had never met uh, in the room. So are we as an audience? And that's directly it's it's showing that it's his flashback. So I I, I could you could also we could almost argue that it's not exactly that either you could you could say that that's his warped reality that he caused it somehow or yeah. you know I, I don't trust his narration at all so him flashing back to him being responsible and him actually doing it could be two different things i mean you could take it quite literal and what happened or you could take it as he feels responsible for it and um that's that's his personal thought on it Maybe. Yeah, you see through the episode, he's actually covered in scars and he's been tortured quite extensively. So we don't know at what point did that beating happen, and we actually don't really know if you can really trust Nicholas Brody's memories. How much of them are real? How much of them are induced by some kind of um, psychosis or, or trauma that he's experienced? So that's that's actually what I think is kind of the 
the genius of this episode is that you're actually all the way through the episode you're flipping flicking backwards and forwards between this is what's happening um carries on to the money he's turned he's dodgy as and you and you flick over to go hang on no Brody's actually okay he's not a double agent he's just incredibly scarred and damaged as a person and carrie's actually mentally ill and you, you just don't know which which one is real um it's certainly as the as it moves on i think it's very clear that both of them are damaged and so mm-hmm. it makes it incredibly difficult as an audience to work out who to trust and who not to trust um you also get a very unfavorable scene for nicholas and his wife um yeah. where you get almost what i would call almost a rape scene or or a rape scene effectively where she's she doesn't actually say no but you can tell she's uncomfortable and she says the words this hurts mm. um and he's you know he's very dispassionate about the way um he he is with her and that is juxtaposed by the previous relationship was in he's been missing for eight years so she's moved on she's with someone else um she's actually with friend of the show diego Klattenhoff, um who is we've seen in the the blacklist uh and um she's with the exact same character (laughs) the exact same characters he's he's, uh that's what he does um and so um he's he's how dare you he's an fbi agent in uh sorry how dare you very close Uh, and in this he's a marine he works in intelligence intelligence. yeah how dare you yes poor poor mr clattenhoff apologize to mr clattenhoff at once i apologize Um, mr clattenhoff please don't kill me with your massive muscles yeah so so but we see a very a very loving a very tender uh opening effectively opening scene for her um where they're in the midst of their tryst and she's he's been gone for eight years so there's no i don't think the audience is expected to feel bad about that that in, that encounter, um, but she certainly um, feels duty bound to uh, to Nicholas, so that she breaks off that that relationship, which seems really really yeah. harsh on that dude. Um, it, it does, but she's also a hypocrite in the fact that she uh, she condemned the other was it the his his partner the other woman. Yeah, yeah she, she condemned, but then she's also doing the same thing, just not so publicly. So she's kind of a hypocrite in that regard. So it's an interesting. She's also. She's also damaged as well. It seems to be a a, 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 a show for damaged people. It is. And can I actually talk about, I think Mike's actually probably the hardest done, done by a guy in this whole episode because he's involved in this relationship with this with, with this woman, um, Brody's wife, for presumably many years at this point. Well, and, I don't think it's um, that long because they talk about telling the kids. So I, I don't think it's actually been that long. See, okay, you think it's not that long. Okay, fair mm-hmm. enough. Even if it hasn't been that long. Uh, he just kind of gets turfed aside because yeah, Brody's yeah. been rediscovered and and, he, and he's coming back. And I actually found that entire that entire story arc where she actually hides the relationship from Brody and actually pr- tries to pretend it didn't actually it didn't happen and it, it's very obscure about that. I think that's actually really bad and it mm. is a really poor move from from her. I can't understand why you wouldn't just be upfront and say, "Hey, you've been gone for eight years. Like things have changed." Like, well, just to evoke the movie. Uh, Castaway, which you know, it's always great to talk about Tom Hanks and Castaway. Remember in that episode when we, when Tom Hanks finally come in that show when Tom Hanks finally comes out of the of the island and and finds that his wife has moved on. It's handled in a very different way. I, I will yeah. say though the the the, the way the, the the scars that's all over his body and the the way he treated her in the bedroom, hmm. I would be kind of skeptical to say anything either. I wouldn't. I, you'd almost want to delay it until he gets his head right or back to reality I mean, i can understand what i can understand what they're going through but he is he is turfed aside very very quickly the, the scene where she tells uh mr clattenhoff um that she's out um that's after that that violent yes. sex scene isn't it so she's already yeah. she's already running with that and he she, 
and he you can immediately see and through great again great direction and great acting um without very little words that he's already onto it he's worked that out um brody yeah. he, he knows that there's clearly something going on he asked the the youngest kid is he around a lot what do you think of him that kind of conversation mm. with a very stone-faced kind of attitude um and just picking up on something you said before christian can we just all agree tom hanks definitely had sex with that ball that volleyball he definitely had sex with wilson didn't he no he would have put a hole in it shan so no he didn't i just i just well he's it deflated at some stage isn't he it doesn't stay mounted on poles so there is a hole somewhere okay i'm just i'm i just want to throw it out there i'm not i'm not casting any aspersions if i was in the same position i'm just i'm just i don't know but i'm just saying he definitely Mm. definitely had sex with that ball I just want to put sure. that out there. Sure. That's like, okay, we'll take your sphere erotic theory and we'll, we'll, we'll can't park that for now. Hey, look, there's, there's dozens of us, Christian. There's dozens of us. <laughs> I've only ever seen this, this episode. I haven't, I've been one of those people that's avoided Homeland because to be frank, this kind of, you know, a diplomatic kind of tussling and spies and cross, you know, that, that doesn't really interest me more than sort of James Bond. And James Bond is a very shallow entry into the spy pool. As much as he's kind of like the most well-known spy, it's not it's not a massively kind of crisscrossy, you know, uh, uh, example of spies and, and back-end stuff. Mm. Um, I, I found this this immensely fascinating. I, I, I found myself annoyed that it wasn't shot like a movie. It's very, it's very early or, or sort of 2010 shot. Whereas you look at the Spy, for example, and that's shot very cinematically, almost like a movie. Probably because it's a shorter run and and has the ability to be a bit more cinematic. I don't know what the extension is on on Homeland's life. It's it's many seasons, eight or, or whatever. Eight, yeah, eight, yeah. But I, I, I wonder, and and this is just me positing, and I don't want anyone to confirm it in case there's people who desperately want to watch it. But I'm positing that the steam of whether Brody's been turned or not, and and their interaction will run out of steam quickly, and they'll have to turn and do something else. And I, I just wonder whether that would have been better as a short run, like The Spy, or would have made an amazing movie. Yeah. Because if it was shot more like a movie, I would be all in on this thing. And I'm just wondering, it's a bit like moon, you know, the moon, the moonlighting issue where you've got, will they, won't they, the Ross and Rachel situation, will they, won't they? And when they finally hook up, it kind of takes the air out of the situation. And I, I'm wondering whether once we really work out whether Brody is or isn't uh, turned and what and and presumably I'm going to throw it out there. Presumably he's turned and then he turns back and then he turns again or whatever because that's the way TV shows, particularly in America, run. Um, but I just wonder if that if you if you left that out even ambiguous to the end of a movie slash short run series, that would be intriguing. And I, I actually love the kind of the chess pieces that are on this table that you see in this first episode. Um, I Manny Patinkin's great in everything. Like he's so good in everything. Sure. He has the best name, by the way, too, because, you know, if you didn't know, Manny Patinkin just sounds like a lovely elfin lady, and and then it's old cranky man, and it just is just brilliant. Mm-hmm. But he his his intrigue, she is a mess, and she's a mess in so many different reasons. She's you know she's sexually aggressive. She's um, and not to say that that's a mess, but I'm just saying like she 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 tries to she her oldest friend, the person who's got her back, she suggests sleeping with him just to try and get a positive yep. outcome. Um, 
and I don't mean to again mean to imply that someone who's who's got a mental illness is a mess, but she her life is seemingly out of control. Um, well, yeah, and she goes off her medication, and uh, it is definitely a challenging thing. But I think that that is what makes this show so fascinating. You're looking at a at a show. I mean, you're looking at a show featuring a, a, a one a, a female CIA analyst or a female spy. And we don't see too many shows of that to begin with already. You know, it, the sort of the genre is is dominated by like your James Bond type character. Um, and then we actually have this extra layer on top where she's got a, a an actual mental illness that's diagnosed, and she's you know got treatment plans and all that sort of stuff. You know, that is really very. Name another show that has a has a, a a lead character like that, that isn't like the Joker. Yeah, no, it's it's done it's done really well, and and the space the, the Shannon said you know it wasn't shot like a movie, but I think as a pilot, this kind of ticks all the boxes for what you kind of want. You want you want the cliffhanger ending. You want the characters defined and explained. You want action, um, fast pace. There's no wastage. Um, I think this is this is kind of the perfect the perfect um, blueprint to, to film a pilot. You, you only spend time with the characters you need to spend time with. You, you mm. walk away knowing that, that uh, Carrie, Claire Danes is important. Obviously Brody's important and that Saul's going to be a big player, even if he doesn't have a huge role to play in this, in yeah. this, ep- in this episode. And, and um, Brody's wife is clearly a big player. Th- there are peripheral characters that you see and you meet and you experience, but they're, they're, they're given less screen time and they, they're only relevant because of those three kind of central characters. And so, you know, it's, it's a wonderfully paced, exciting, ambiguous pilot. And, and a lot of these types of shows, whether they're, and, and I, I'd probably throw, you know, criminal procedural shows, legal type shows where there has to be some level of intrigue about what's going on. This is, this is the pilot, to to suck you in to those it's probably one of the only shows that i've um that i've had in the in the in the period of time where i i might keep watching oh really you know i may actually continue watching because it was enough of an intrigue um and 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 they've done that thing and i don't know whether they're red herrings or not they've done that thing where Everyone kind of seems a bit sus, you know. Like yes. even the even the security guys installing, um, installing the the bugs in the home are like, yeah. are you are you sus? Are you? Yeah. I was just suspecting everyone. Yep, but and then keep in mind that it's a psychological thriller. It's a spy show, and you're sus on you're sus on basically everybody. I think yep. that, that that vibe and that that sense of suspicion and distrust is completely pivotal and central to the entire feel of the show. So I'm really glad you've picked that up. Yeah. And, and you know, whether, whether or not they suss at all, whether they're just red herrings, I, I don't know. And I don't care, but it's enough of me to go. I, I need to keep following at least this Brody line through Story now line. a really quick yeah. look of the IMDB shows that, Brody's in it for 38 episodes out of a possible 96. So clearly that storyline will run its course. Um, yeah. But the central characters, clearly Claire Danes and Manny Patinkin, are, are the, 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 the basis for this, this show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love the, uh, uh, the one line I want to put, something I want to put to you is, you know, do you, are you believing people? Are you distrusting them? Or do you think it's all a bit of a misdirection? So, yeah, very in, in theme with the, the spy motif. Let's talk acting. I want to talk about particularly Claire Danes. 
she is incredibly unlikable. And we've seen this a lot, the anti-hero in these types of shows that we've reviewed. She's a really good anti-hero. She's, she's prickly. She's abrasive. She's brash, full of self-confidence, type of person in Australia that we like to tear down. <laughs> but, but she is, and, and she's clearly a loose cannon who's sort of, she's, she's kind, of, kind of burned all her friends at this agency. She's clearly talented and is clearly well-connected, but she's really burnt her friends. It's an interesting period to pick up her career in which the show to start. Well, there's um, also there's also some weird relationship between her and the assistant director, who whatever you want to call him, because she said, yeah, because he said he used to be, you know, he used to have all the faith in her, and now she doesn't. And I think that implies more than just that international incident that he talked about. There's more there that meets the eye. Oh, he he directly yeah. says it cost him cost him his wife and kids. Yeah, but you don't know. You don't, you don't know why. You don't know what happened. Well, there. I, I'm presuming she banged him, and I'm now that the wife that. and kids live in Florida. So I'm that, assuming that too. But I mean, that I think that was the implication, um, particularly when we see how aggressive she is in that area. Um, despite again the hobo bath. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm sorry to keep harping on about this, but we <laughs> we let, let the poor woman have a hobo bath, mate. But, but that that scene was baffling. I don't. I, I, what what was the, what? Why she literally was in a bathroom next to a bath? Yeah, but she's in a hurry because she's she just a, landed yeah. back from overseas. She had literally in, had fifteen get... minutes. She had fifteen I, minutes. I'm sorry, but you do not. If you've actually got a shower there, a shower can be a minute shower. You are not saving that much time. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I got really upset about that scene. <laughs> she was still she was still late to the meeting anyway, Shannon. So obviously she didn't have any she didn't even have the time that she had to take. I posit to you that if you rock up to a meeting with your superiors and the first thing they go is, "What what is that?" That is much much worse than but I than the, running an, a minute late and having a shower. I'm sorry, but you if have she never slept, lived dangerously. If she slept on the couch and then got dressed quickly, there is no way she looked as good as she did when she was sitting in that room. She looked like she just got fresh out of the hair and makeup trailer. Was it was it that stage? Then she she promised she was going to bang Manny Patinkin straight out of, out of that no, meeting. That, that was that was later. So later you think that, she's had. She's had a shower during that time. I, I, th- I think so. Now, talk about acting. I Damien, would hope so for Manny <laughs> Patinkin's sake. <laughs> Damien, Damien Lewis, who's playing at no, Nicholas Brody. Now, yeah. I can't like this guy. I don't know what it is. I don't like his acting. I don't like anything about him. However, I think he is perfect for this role. Is it because you're like 50-50% sure he's a terrorist? No, no. I don't like him in Billions. Is it Billions? How can you I, not like him in Billions? I what just, is wrong with you? I just, I can't. There's some actors that you just can't connect with or like. Damien, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I, that this... I apologize, this... but this this role is perfect for him and he's very good in it. I just I just want him off the screen whenever he's on there. See, <sighs> I tend I tend to disagree slightly, Jake, in the sense that I don't know that he's particularly good. I, I actually think that the... The acting's a little bit telegraphed. It's a little bit overzealous in terms of, like, it's kind of audience shorthand about whether to trust him or not. But it's exactly. just a bit, it's a bit on the nose. And I would have preferred to him to be slightly more believable in terms of his the way he's integrated. And, I mean, again, if there's people that have suffered PTSD or any of those things, that might be accurate on the screen. It just, it it was a little bit, Hey, I could hear the director saying, hey, Damon, can you just be a little bit more disjointed in your acting, please? Because you're a little bit too mm. lifelike. 
Yeah, look, uh, and I'm I'm a big fan of him. I think he's I, I do think he's quite good in Billions. He he plays the arrogant megalomaniac really perfectly there and he was in Band of Brothers as well and he did a a really good job in that show so I think he's someone with a a really strong acting ability I think maybe what you're responding to there Jake is a a portrayal of somebody who is a a severely broken individual who is you know effectively suffering from high level PTSD and trauma and and the fact that in the show they actually send him home immediately after he lands is you know, mind-boggling. I don't think in real life that would possibly happen. I think he would be spending a significant amount of time in a facility somewhere being treated and... Debriefed. And, and they're, debriefed not, they're not going to throw you on camera with the vice president making a speech. As you step oh, off the plane. Oh, oh, I, I disagree. I think that, that that was probably the thing that spoke to me true to life is that is that the, 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 the hierarchy immediately thought, how do we... How do we how do we benefit from this guy? This is a big news story. Any you've oh, seen yeah. any of the any of the American um, hostages that have been sent home all experience that, um, and, and I and I think that they overstate uh, they overstated how great he'd feel about being home um, and and kind of wanting the adulation and attention. I, mm. I think that that's that's a very American thing to do. Um, you know. Uh, they played the Brisbane Lions theme song or something when he said, oh, what well, was one of those? It was an AFL theme song it as I went there. Song, I was like, yeah. oh, that's it's Adelaide or something. Um, sure, but whatever yeah. whatever it was, and 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 kind of rather than doing that tre- intensive treatment program that he clearly needs, um, he didn't even tell his wife that he'd been beaten. It took it took no. a sex scene effectively for them to be like, oh, by the way, yeah, these, don't worry about them. Um, did, did, didn't get time to tell you. I'm covered in scars. Yeah. Let me tell you about the horrific beatings that I've taken. Oh, and by the way, I murdered my friend. Yeah. Uh, now bend over because we're gonna we're gonna do some un, unpleasant, sexy stuff. And yeah. uh, I just want to talk about the the actual sex in this show. Now, I'm not sure where it aired or who it aired for, but there seems to be a lot more than your typical, I want to say, primetime show. So, mm-hmm. obviously, this was airing later in the, in the, in the night. I'm not sure if it adds anything to this show. Uh, I think the, the scene where Claire Danes is getting changed really adds something to the scene where she can't even decide what she wants to wear because I'm not sure what she thinks her purpose is for that night, what mm-hmm. her plans are for that night. So, I think that's where her mindset is at. The other stuff... I'm not sure if it was it was it was uh, needed. No, I, th- I think I think it was actually a really good just uh, juxtaposition between the tenderness and the love that she was obviously experiencing with um, with the uh, the meathead. What's his name? Uh, whatever your, his character your, your, your best friend, Mike. Mike. My, my, my buddy, Mike. Mike, Mister Clattenhoff. Uh, and and um, and the juxtaposition. He didn't even get her undressed. Um, he he effectively, you know, pushed her on like that was it, and it was clearly painful and not nice or 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 um uh, or pleasurable for for her um i think that that was actually a, a pretty good justification a juxtaposition again you can shoot this shit without nudity like yes, that's, that's, we've been, do- we've been point, doing yeah. we've been doing primetime sex scenes with no nudity for years and I, is, this wasn't this wasn't hbo this was this was mainstream so that's what i'm saying it's it's prim- i'm sure it's primetime i'm not sure who who made it but it, it just it just seemed weird to be in this kind of show like, I'm, I'm expecting this, i was expecting kind of like um, the blacklist type of show, yeah. and, and it went a little bit further than that, which was which was odd. It wasn't bad. I didn't say it was. It's not, it's not, not bad. It, it kind of it suited the tone. It wasn't in your face or anything. It was subtle, and but it, it was interesting that it, it appeared there in a, in a prime time kind of show. Yeah, so it was broadcast on Showtime, 
okay, so, so it's a cable. It's a cable. It's a cable. Yeah, so that makes yeah. more sense. Yeah, yeah. and yep. again, how good would this be if this has been a HBO show? Look, it would have looked like a movie every episode. Um, mm. It's just a bit of a shame that it, it wasn't. I, I just think I think it was kind of really boringly shot. That was that was my only real knock on this. Was it looked it looked like a mid two thousands cable TV show rather than than the kind of episodic, hugely scoped. I mean, the spy has that in droves, but if it had been shot mm. by Fincher, it looked like a Mindhunter episode. How good would that would that have been? It would have been pretty incredible. I think you, you. I think I agree with you there. I don't think that's it's weak enough reason. I don't think it make, it impacts it bad enough to to make it not watchable. I think no, it's certainly no, no. watchable. It just what you're saying there is is a missed opportunity in terms of that that quality. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I look. I had a I had a really enjoyable time with it. Again. It'll be one of those shows that I'll probably end up pursuing at least for the next couple of episodes to see if it if it sinks or not. Um, but it was it was drawing enough that mystery, that key mystery of can I believe the main character that I'm being presented with, or either of these main characters, is a fascinating and intriguing kind of pull to see whether I want to continue with that. That mm. at least the run of that story has suckered me in. Um, yeah. And then you throw Manny Patinkin in, like he, he, nailing that that kind of shadowy figure, backroom figure. He, he, you know, he's he's perfect for that role. Um, yep, he definitely is. I think Marina Bakarin did a really good job portraying Brody's wife, and I, I disagree with you a little bit on the sex scenes. Like, I do think they add a bit to this to this episode. Precisely because of that juxtaposition that you talk about, and they're actually—it's actually used in a way that's clever, in a way of revealing the characters' tendencies and recklessnesses. So for Carrie, sex is a tool, um, mm. and it's portrayed that way in this episode very strongly. For um, Marina Bakarin's character, Brody's wife—you know, she's having you know loving, passionate sex with her new partner, um, but then very uncomfortable, awkward sex with Brody, you know, out of some kind of obligation. So mm. it's actually used strategically in that sort of way. It's not—it's not just gratuitous like you would see in you know, a HBO show um, that we shall not name. Yeah, and it, it asks a lot of its audience early on. It, you know, you put yourself into McKenna McCarran's, what would you do in that situation where, you know, your husband or your partner's been dead, for, dead, missing for eight years, and then and then walks back in? Do you drop everything and go back? Like that, that sense of obligation, particularly with the kids, um, mm-hmm. she's, that shorthand stuff, she's clearly been struggling since, He's been gone to be a single mother and to deal with kind of seemingly bad behavior or this drug use, yeah. at least with the kids. So you see that she then, you know, and the kids make make comment that, do you remember him? Do you, do you even remember this guy? So how do the kids feel with him walking yeah. back in? And then you're getting this kind of robotic, uh, uh, broken, damaged person walk back into your life that's very different from the person you knew. Where do your obligations lie? That's a fascinating look. At a, at, a, at a position that we wouldn't be in ever. And I love that, that that question gets asked of the audience, effectively, what would you do? Because you've got to remember that, you know, he's been missing for eight years and it, they're generally four-year tours, I believe, in America for in Afghanistan or that, that, they're generally four-year tours. So if he was at the end of his four-year tour, he could have been gone for, you know, 11, 10, 11, 12 years. So yeah. there's, there's, there, there could be a, a lot longer than just the eight years that he was missing for. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so, and so that it just it asks the question of what what would you do? And I, it's it's a fascinating look about that. And she's clearly feels obligated, and she's prepared to throw the last eight years of her life away, effectively. Mm, yeah, and 
it, it overall I think it's a, f- a fantastic show. It's also produced by or created by a fellow named Gideon Raff, um, who actually ties us across to our next show really, really well. Because Gideon Raff is actually the creator of a, the next series as well. You know, The Spy. Well, there you go. It seems like he's got a niche that he's carved out. Yeah, it has. He's definitely got this this niche for um, spy thrillers. Um, it, Spy thrillers, and I think it's also important to note that Homeland is actually based on a Israeli TV series called Prisons of War. I don't know how close it is, if it's like a complete remake or if it's just inspired by. I haven't actually gone and, and, and watched Prisons of War. Um, but obviously um, Gideon Raff has an affinity to um, spy shows featuring Israeli characters. So if we talk, we want to talk about our next episode, our next TV show, The Spy. The Spy is a TV series... Um, that follows a fellow named Eli Cohen, who is a uh, a man with a wife lives in Israel. Um, it's set in the early sixties, um, and he Eli is going along to join the the Mossad. Uh, basically, the first episode sees him joining the Mossad, going through training, learning how to be a spy, learning about what his his future missions are going to be, and then finishes up with him actually going off to infiltrate. Uh, an expatriate Syrian community in South America, where his job is to infiltrate the community and then eventually get he get sent over to Syria um, to you know do spy stuff. And it's it's probably notable more than anything else because Sasha Baron Cohen plays our lead character, and yes. he is incredibly straight laced. Like it is not a comedy at all. No. Um, and so you know most people that were tuning in expecting. You know the the sequel to that Melissa McCarthy spy movie mm. starring Sasha Baron Cohen uh, was disappointed. I'm assuming, uh, but uh, but it's it's an interesting look. I mean, you know, we've got a long history of watching uh, great comedians take very serious roles and do a very good job. Um, he's he's probably the best thing about this show in terms of uh, of his. Um, of his acting, he's, he he stands up very very well. I was I was rather impressed. It was it's actually really incredible because when you think of Sasha Baron Cohen, you think of someone who's done a lot of comedy. You're thinking Borat, you're thinking Ali G, um, Bruno, you know those sort of lampoonish characters who are completely over farcical, over the top. And in this, is he actually plays a serious character, well, um, and a, in, the, a, in a drama. The to- the tone is completely different in this show. It, it's it's slow paced. It's methodical. It, there's about nine different locations in the first thirty seconds, which mm-hmm. really confused me. But the, it's 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 a completely different pace. It, it's it's thought out, it's slow, and you're looking at chess chess being played in real time compared yeah. to the fast pace that that Homeland was. Homeland is frenetic, and this is a much slower, much more cerebral thing. Even down to the the way it's shot, the cinematography is 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 very beautiful in comparison there's one thing in particular i love is whenever someone's reading something or, or writing something you actually see the text appear on the wall or in the script or in the background of the scene somewhere and it, it, it looks lovely it's a, just a nice little touch that i think it elevates the show to it to a to a different level it would have been great to see homeland shot in a in a cinematic way i mean that's the difference mm. where we've moved in terms of the quality of tv you, yeah. you watch these two side by side um, and I started with Homeland, then went to the spy, and I was like, I wish Homeland looked this good because it does yeah. look amazing. Yeah. Well, it well, is the- made by Gideon Raff, who is, of course, the creator of Homeland as well. And I can't help but wonder if maybe you know, Gideon has sat back like you are now going, what would I have done if I could have done it differently? And perhaps he's gone, I want to make it a bit more cinematic. Well, they've, they've taken away the colour of the of the show. They've, they've wiped the colour 
right back. They put it right back. So you, you, you. I, don't, I feel like I felt the movement of every single character in this, what they were mm-hmm. doing, almost how they were feeling down to the down to this show because they they're so they they hone in on each character on this one. You know exactly who everyone is. They've only shown you a few individuals you need to focus on in this first episode, mm-hmm. um, and like I said, it's methodical. It's it's thought out. It is. I love the opening scene because the show opens and it looks like um, Ellie's been he's been captured. So we're presumably being taken to the point where it's it's after he's been captured after you know shenanigans in in Syria. He's obviously been tortured because his fingernails are all bruised and black, um, and uh, an old rabbi is woken up and brought in to to talk to him or maybe to to you know give him some kind of spiritual counselling or whatnot. And you see Ellie write a letter to his wife, um, and the priest actually asks him. You know, do you remember your real name? And Ellie pauses and is, and is stopped. And that's actually a really powerful scene because you tell he doesn't remember his name and then the, the episode transports you back to when he's being recruited. And I thought that was a really powerful entry into the into the series and that sucked me right in and I really wanted to keep watching from that point onwards. Yeah, we, we had a great, there's a great training montage in terms of his his movement as an, as an agent and so we, we are starting at the base level with this particular person who's kind of trying to work his way through with a fairly um, uh, caring but very harsh and methodical sort of teacher um, mm-hmm. played by Noah Emmerich, who most people would know as Truman's best friend in the Truman Show. <laughs> That's where I know him from. Um, so <laughs> I, I was looking at going. And look, I can only – look, This I really like the show. I think it's probably – it's definitely not as fast paced, um, and I would I would almost call it boring in the sense that it's it's so slow. It works like molasses in terms, of, but it it's you're just watching something evolve. And I can't help but wonder if Sasha Baron Cohen was being Borat while this was happening, but dead straight, but just in a mankini with the moustache, <laughs> would I have liked it better? And I think the answer I can absolutely say is yes. I would have. Oh, how yeah. could you? Of it course. was beautiful. The whole thing it was, was, was... But, but imagine the, the grey, you know, the kind of washed out tones of Israel mm. with a bright green mankini and that moustache and that accent, but played dead straight. I, I think the show's got to be better for I it. I mean, the, the, the problem with this show, and I'll I, I loosely say problem, is that not a lot happens. Like, there's not much to tell you what happens because he kind of you kind of see him get the start of his interrogation or him writing a letter. You see yep. his training, and that's kind of all you see. You don't really see much else. I mean, other than yep. them, them setting the tone of what's happening in Syria um, and what's yep. going on and why they need to do this. But other than that, you don't see much else. Yeah, but it's a great introductory episode. I mean, the whole series only goes for six episodes. That's it. Yeah, it's, it's it, a very it's, it's a closed it's a it's a bottled thing. And it's fascinating to look at, okay, well, what did Homeland tell us? And Homeland's taken six, eight seasons to get to the end. And what did this tell us that only runs six episodes? And this told us basically nothing. And Homeland crammed a whole bunch of information in that first pilot. So so is it the difference that one of them's guaranteed a run and one of them's not? So this one was guaranteed at six episodes. It's clearly a methodical kind of spelled out procedural that runs all the way through. Um, and yet, Homeland was kind of throwing all the all the tricks at it. If if I look, it's not one I I want to continue with. It's not something that dragged me in because I, the intrigue to me wasn't there. I quite liked the training montage, but I felt like I got everything I was going to get out of it. There was not an intriguing proposition to keep me running through to the next episode. Really, no. the next episode is just it just it's where it starts. You know, you see you see uh, Ellie land in Buenos Aires or you know, wherever he is. And he 
starts making his way into you know, Syrian expatriate society. We learn all about his new alter ego, and the, I love the, the 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 scene where he arrives in Switzerland and he hands in his old clothes and gets un, gets changed, and he gets given his new clothes and he adopts his new identity. And there's actually a methodical process where you go, he goes through that, and it's actually he's transitioning between worlds. I think you need to condense and I think you need to get to that part in the first episode. If, if you're talking about a pilot, it, it was, it was too, it was glacial paced for me in terms of that. Mm-hmm. And there was a bunch of extraneous scenes. I'm not sure that we needed the, the best scene for me actually was that the bombing was particularly effective in the way that that was mm. shot. I thought that was gorgeously shot, but the most effective scene for me until it became two on the nose was the dinner party scene with the, with the friends. I thought it was really superbly acted and well handled. And that that was a, a very awkward situation where he was effectively mistaken for a waiter. Mm. The subsequent scene to that, the conversation in bed with him and his wife, was just super on the nose. It spelled out for an audience. He directly says it's because they think they're they're better than us. Didn't need to be there. That was kind of the, the show that was just like, oh come on, man, we got that from that scene. I thought it was mm. perfect that scene at the dinner party until he opened his mouth. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure if it was such a Baron Cohen's acting, but I just didn't, I didn't like that. As soon as he started talking, it sounded off. And I'm not sure that was just me or what it was. Yeah, I, I no, thought... I, I really enjoyed that. Cause I, I think he handled it as well as he could. He, he was clearly annoyed, um, but, but trying to save face and making a bit of a joke about it. And I actually really liked the, the last line of that, of the of the pillow talks where she says, "Can I ask you something, or can I ask you a favor?" And he says, "Yes." And she goes, "Can you go and get me a a, a tonic with a lemon a drink, twist?" Yeah. And I, I, I really enjoyed that part. I just thought that the the beforehand was just painfully spelling out for the audience what we'd just seen, yeah. and that kind of just annoyed me, and it slowed the pace of it down. Um, whereas I, that that was his motivation for going and wanting to make more of himself. I got all that. I just I just felt like it was just. Uh, it laboured the point. So you think he could have, if you'd, if you'd maybe cut that stuff in half, and he'd actually gotten to Buenos Aires and started infiltrating um, even ten minutes society. Do you yeah, I, I, I just, it? I just want a bit of sizzle, real. Like I just want, to, I just want a, a, a lead into what the the rest of the show is going to look like. Because I mm-hmm. don't think it's going to be as glacially paced as this episode was, particularly when you've only got six episodes. Um, I just, it just needed to. To come it, on a bit quicker, it, it just missed the firecracker at the end, and I think that's what that's what happened with Homeland is they left mm. you with the with the well, we're now got on onto him. He's got a code. What's going to happen yeah. next? You want to watch the next episode? Yeah. Where with, with this one, I'm not I'm not sure there's a there's a hook to like the hook that we always talk about. There's nothing yeah. to really pull you into the next episode. And I wonder if that's because it's a Netflix show. I, look, I, I I think you guys are. Like I really enjoyed that slower pace, and I found it very cerebral, and I, I really enjoyed it. I, I would really encourage you guys to watch the second episode and see if that you know redeems it a little bit, and 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 maybe that would make you make you feel a little bit more invested and interested in the show. I I've watched all of it, and I found it really compelling. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm coming at it from a different from a slightly different lens from you guys. I'd compare it to Mind Hunters in the fence mm. that Mindhunters to me, and I think, Jake, your criticism at the time was it felt very slow. I felt like it got to its point and it got to the, the proposition of the show within the last 10 minutes and and that it sold me enough to keep keep me running on it. Um, and it's it's a very – it's colour palette. It's very similar to this show. I mean, Israel's very dark and grey and um, very austere and, and the characters are all super serious and have serious talks in their offices and – 
um, you know, uh, Truman's friend doesn't want to have bang the secretary. And there's a whole bunch of that sort of extraneous stuff that doesn't really tell you a lot. Um, mm. But that's, it's all, it's all flavor that's added. I just feel like it needed to get to its proposition yeah. earlier. A really fascinating thing with, for me with this show is the fact that it's based on a true story. Ellie Cohen was a real person who lived and was a spy. And, and, and you know, I don't know how much of the show is, is real and how much of it is kind of, you know, a bit of puffery and a bit of inflation. Um, so I don't know what, to what degree, but I know that in broad strokes, Ellie Cohen was a real person. He really did infiltrate Syria. He really did um, get captured and he really was executed. So I, I found that fascinating. Why, why, when, when he's going through this period and he says, honey, I'm going to work at my accounting firm or whatever. And then, and then she shows up and he's not there. Has, did we not think of a cover for that? Like she went looking for him and then he's like, oh no, I got another job. I'm now the buyer for the the department of defense. That's what I do. And he's like, I don't know know if I could tell you until I, until I got it for sure, but you've been off for months. Like, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things. Be, be yeah. better, spies. Be well, better. It was, a, it was a different time, I think. You know, systems weren't quite as developed and, and whatnot as they are nowadays. Um, and people probably don't normally just walk in and check in on you or phone you at work. They're kind of, your job is your job. You don't have a phone on you. so And you, you never know, like maybe the Mossad did actually have a cover story for him. You know, he was working for a... If she'd actually contacted the right place, if he and if he told her where, where he was, the fake job was, they might have had a cover story all ready to go for him and, and just say he was unavailable and whatever. So, but do you know? Do you know? The, the do you know the show that the, the well, the movie that I immediately thought of, and it's it's a little bit weird, but my immediate mind went to Men in Black, and okay. and and I, I I immediately saw a uh, a kind of a proposition of a, a, you know going and finding someone. That's very good in their in their job, um, and then a bit of a training montage until they get right. And that movie starts and does that really quickly in terms of in movie time. You know, yeah. we see the initial impact. We see him sit the test and, and become selected and become an agent pretty much within the first 20, 25 minutes of that of that runtime. And this took forty eight minutes to to see to see that progression. And I just would have loved to have seen him do something as a spy. In the first episode, no, we've only got six run. Say you only get, say you get given six episodes, right? And you've only got five episodes worth of story to tell. You don't want to give away that sixth episode, so you you, you kind of inflate. And the first episode is probably the, the time to, I would think, not to inflate. But I, I almost think like there's not enough story to tell. For, there's enough more, more than a movie, but not quite a full run of of TV shows. So they probably have to inflate a little bit because they 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 literally did nothing in this episode. So I'm with you on that one, Shannon, but I think you also got to think about the length of time they have and what story they got to tell. The, the training montage was the be- best part. Like yes, it was, it, it was, it was the, the intrigue of him trying to work out who was following him. That stuff seemed really practical and, and kind of, you could watch his, his progression. I, I've, I never thought I needed to see a Morse code training montage, you know, mm. how quick you can Morse code, but oh. When he well, got, we got got to seventy five words a minute with no mistakes, I was like, "Good on you, Sasha. Well done." Yeah. Ripped. He got ripped. Mm. <laughs> what do you? What do you? And, and he notice? did explain that to his wife. He's what like, "Oh, like, yeah." What did you notice that? Look at my arms, like twice. That, yeah. that that accounting job, I did a lot of heavy lifting on numbers. <laughs> that was uh, the first thing I thought. Yeah. Why should notice that? But anyway. yeah, and maybe his encyclopedic knowledge of 
Soviet tanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, no, that's a Russian, uh, you know, yeah. So, but, you know, I, I, I like that and clearly a good period piece and they've done a, a lot of work in getting the, the kind of that that right. And 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 I, I wasn't put off by the fake accents either. Like I thought even Noah, Noah Emmerich, which I was surprised to see him there as, as you know, a, effectively a white guy mm. uh, working in... in um, in that area, his accent was pretty good. Well, at least it didn't pull me out of out of the, the episode, anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. It does. It does seem to me like they've cast p- particularly well in terms of uh, ethnicity throughout those actors. And I could be talking completely out of my rear end, um, but I do note it was actually a French production um, rather than an American one, which makes a bit more sense um, and was clearly picked up by. Uh, by Netflix uh, after it was completed rather than being a Netflix exclusive like they like to try and put their tag on. Um, but in, in summary, I'm, I'm absolutely on the, on the Homeland camp on this one. I think it's got a far wider audience appeal than The Spy. I think that's probably a fair a fair statement. I loved Homeland. I, I really enjoyed it. I also really enjoyed The Spy. Um, I'm going to be contrary to you guys because I got a sense that Jake will also vote for the home for Homeland. So I'm going to go in and and, and recommend the Spy. It's a shorter it's a shorter series. I reckon if you're if you're someone who wants to have something to watch on Netflix and you just want to dip your toe into a world of espionage and a little bit of history, check out the Spy. Do you do you think it's an effective pilot though? I thought it was. I can, but I can see your point. For okay. me, it was fine. Perhaps for for um, different people, it they'll find it a little bit slow in which case i'll say commit to two episodes i'm saying it's it's slow for the marvel generation that's what i'm going to call these people now <laughs> i think i think the problem is that we watched homeland and then the spy i think if you went into just the spy by itself it, you'd, you'd probably be okay okay yeah okay. with the with the pacing i think it's because we watched i watched homeland first and then watched the spy i generally do in the order we're going to talk about the i, I will say i i'm not a big fan of the spy genre either I, I, I watch very little of it. I will say, though, doing this this uh, show is that if I see a show's got eight seasons, I'm almost tempted not to watch it now because of, of, how, of how much I have to invest in, in, the, in the time. Um, but I will say Homeland is the better pilot. Um, I, think, I think the acting's better in The Spy, but I think the pilot, just going on pilots alone, Homeland has to be the winner. I mean, you can watch the spy just for the cinematography. To be honest, it's it's just a much better looking show. Um, it's these are these are what they're producing, particularly in these short runs, are mini mini movies. They're, they're yeah. forty eight minute movies for you know, and there's six of them in a row. Yeah, I can't help also but wonder if uh, you know, obviously Ellie Coleman was a real person, and he's a he seems to be someone who is a hero in to the Israeli intelligence community. And Gideon Raff has obviously created this show after Homeland. I can't help but wonder if it's as part of an homage, you know, a, a, a respectful, um, a way of showing respect to, to Ellie Cohen and his sacrifice. I can't help but wonder if that, if, if the slowness of that episode is actually um, Gideon Raff's way of actually communicating, this is what this man went through and this is how he trained to become a spy and here's how he was able to achieve the things that he did. Go ahead, Jake, sorry. I, I will say that the casting of Ali Cohen is, is perfect. I'm looking at pictures side by side and they are, they are perfect. Mm-hmm. Like you would say, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't ask for a better a better um, portrayal. Is it maybe an apology to, in some, some way I'm, I'm assuming that Homeland wasn't well received in the, in the kind of areas that we're talking about where uh, the spy is set. Uh, oh, well, no, because 
I think Israel, I think Mossad Israeli intelligence is pretty unpopular across a lot of the Arab world as well. So I don't, I don't necessarily think um, I, I think they'd all be they'd both be pretty unpopular. Carrie Carrie um, Claire Danes' character and Ellie Cohen would be completely on uh, on the nose anywhere in the Arab world. Yeah, and certainly, you know, in the backdrop of of where we're at now with uh, with the issues coming out of a- Afghanistan, it's probably probably timely to pick up these uh, these types of shows that uh, that are that are in if you're in the mood for this kind of stuff and wanting to see a fictionalized version of 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 kind of war and espionage rather than watching the nightly news. I, I, look, they're both they've both got their merits, um, and they're both they're both good shows in their own right. I, I just. I think Homeland would have been awesome shot now, oh, as a, sure. as a, as a short run HBO show. It would have been it would have been sort of top top three or four in the you know of all time kind of deal. Uh, it's it's well loved as as it stands. It's it's absolutely one of those shows where I feel like I had a black spot on my on my uh, my wealth of knowledge in terms of that just by missing Homeland. So I'm glad I picked it up and and may may have a, a cheeky look at another couple of episodes. Both available right now on Netflix it should be said so they're very very uh easy and and easy to pick up. All right boys, final thoughts, anything else? Uh no, I I just I think it, it's they they're both good introductions to to the spy genre. I think you're not going to be disappointed if you if you put 40 45 minutes into these shows just deciding which pace you want to go for. If you want to go for historical accuracy or you want to go for the fast-paced, more, you know, primetime TV show kind of show. Fantastic. Codename Caesar, out. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, this episode brought to you by Tom Hanks Volleyballs, uh, pre-screwed for your entertainment. (laughs) All right, you ready to call the outro? Yep, talent's here, let's go. All right, you want to warm up or anything first? No, I'm good. Okay, hit me. Now, remember. No cliches, funny, light. It's a podcast. Go. In a world. Always do this. It's the first one. But that's, that's It's what, the most obvious but one. But that's what good trends. No. No. Just no. On the edge of space. Shand. Bedroom. House. Podcast. Us. Go. Jurassic Park meets Twilight. So, Imagine it. Yeah, yeah. We're a podcast. But, We're not a movie. Dun, dun, dun. We podcast. Us talking about movies is it just, just no no just go is it because the no, gi- the t-rex no. has little arms and couldn't stab him in the chest with a stake go a rooster and a cat are friends i know you're a cock but this come on movies podcast it's us talking about them go two idiots have a podcast they talk about movies and nonsense if you'd like to join in that conversation you can hit them up on masspodcasters at gmail.com or talk to them on Facebook. That's that so hard? Yeah, my voice hurts a little. I've got a tickle, and I actually think Jurassic Park and Twilight as a crossover would work. <sighs> Shut up.